Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Good Wednesday, good Wednesday. Welcome to the show. It's Fantasy NBA Today. It's a sports ethos presentation. You guys know the drill at this point. I'm your host, Dan Vespris. Uh, get this thing out to you a little bit sooner today, which I don't get used to it. I know that that's actually been kind of a pain this year, but it really is all about child nap times this time around. Oddly, not that you guys really care all that much, but the release time of Fantasy NBA Today over the last four and whatever years that this show's been in existence has almost directly tied to when a child is or is not taking a nap. And there was a brief window in there where there was only one kid. He was at preschool and I could do the show pretty much whenever I wanted. And at some point in the future, that window will exist again. But for the meantime, um, I know there's been, in general, you guys have been very patient about uh, waiting for the shows to come out midday this season. And that's probably going to be how it is for the most part. There will be these odd days where it does pop up a little bit sooner. Uh, but And we'll get back to the sooner thing, honestly, as soon as schedule allows. My guess would probably be next season. So stick with us. We'll get you back there. Uh, anyway, welcome to the show. Short recap on tap today. Just a, a very brief three-game Tuesday to go over. So I threw a tweet out, not long at all, before hitting the record button. And uh, you guys came out of the woodwork quick on this one. I basically just asked if there was anything sort of burning that folks were interested in, because I think we're going to have a couple extra minutes today. And uh, a few good questions uh, popped up there. Some of them I think were maybe a bit more team-specific. I'm probably not going to answer those on a podcast that's going out to however many thousands of people. But I do have a few that I can run through kind of on the fast side on that end. Uh, Also going to save a few of these questions, because tomorrow we have an exciting little twist and actually over the next couple of days uh i don't make promises that i'm not going to see through here this week but in the not too distant future we will be bringing back live fantasy nba today fridays with our good buddy aaron brewski yes hold your applause fun shirt friday you guys might remember it from a couple years back brew and i will do a show live on youtube we'll take questions we'll go through them as fast as humanly possible kind of uh, detailing the biggest stories of the week. Those Friday shows would be... Uh, they were a lot of fun. And folks were always wondering where they went, and it's just, you know, life got in the way. But we're going to try to bring those things back. Tomorrow, Josh Lloyd on the program here on Fantasy NBA Today. So that also very exciting. A couple cool days coming up here in the not-too-distant future on the pod. Let's get through the Tuesday recap. I say get through because, yeah, I mean, it is a, a quick little hitter. And then we'll turn our attention to some of these questions. Not all of them, but some of the ones that I think I can do some damage on solo today on this Wednesday show, which I always say this, I think it'll be in the 30-minute mark, but we'll see how it all shakes itself out. Two of the three games went to overtime yesterday, and the one that didn't featured a player becoming the all-time three-point champion. So let's just start with that one, because to me, that one was kind of the easiest of the three to break down. Golden State beat New York 105-96. The Knicks actually got off to a pretty good start in this game and then ran into their usual issues, offensive issues, which are going to be compounded by the fact that the Warriors are just a good defensive team. I really don't know what's happened to Draymond Green's foul shooting. That I did not see coming this year. Luckily, He's been so good and everything else that it's kind of counterbalanced it. He's shooting 59% at the free throw line. He was at 80 last year. And he's never really been this low. But otherwise, he's been excellent. 8 points, 8 boards, 7 assists, 1.4 steals, a block. Field goal percent way up because he's mostly cut out the 3-point shot. And frankly, I'm fine with that. I just, I don't know, it was weird to see Draymond Green and think, well, what if I was punting free throws? Well, then he's a top 50 guy. Which is where I thought he'd be anyway, because I thought he'd be right around league average in foul shooting. And he still might be, but it might just be one of those weird years. Otherwise, solid enough. Again, nothing really on the Warriors side. Just wanted to throw in a quick Draymond Green update. Nick's side, Alec Burks was back from the birth of his child. 
and missed a ton of shots, but got 15 of them in 39 minutes of action. So he's very much all systems go because even if he only makes like two additional shots yesterday, you're talking about a guy who's approaching 20 points, handful of assists, get some steals, get some threes now. I love it. Derek Rose, also all systems go, particularly while RJ Barrett is out. I mean, that makes life extremely easy because it thrusts him into the starting lineup. Evan Fournier has been fully sapped of his basketball powers. I don't know what happened, but he's very much an easy drop. And then I feel like kind of everything that we said late last week has come to fruition. Emmanuel quickly is good enough as a schedule streamer, which I want to really try to... I don't want to say coin the terms because I, it's not like we're coming up with, with new words. We're just coming up with new ways to put them together. And for too long, I think... And Twitter is partially responsible for this because you have to mash everything into a couple hundred characters. On a podcast, we don't have to. A schedule streamer versus a opportunity streamer. And I want to be very clear with who each of them is as we're going through this stuff. Because I'm like, hey, stream this guy. That doesn't really tell the whole story. Because it also, I think when you say, hey, stream this guy, you're kind of ignoring Roto Leagues at that point. Certainly daily ones with a games cap, which I think is how a lot of them are these days. Uh, you don't you don't just stream a guy in Roto because they've got a couple games in a row unless there's no games cap on them, which is kind of how head-to-head works. So I just want to make sure we're very clear with our streaming discussion. Emmanuel, quickly to me, is a stream of schedule, meaning if he has a favorable schedule with the way he's playing right now, he's a good ad. If he doesn't have a favorable schedule, he's not. Simple as that. He's not over that barrier, that that line, however you want to draw it. And again, we've talked about this for, for 12 teamers. For me, that line for uh, Roto is around 100. And for head-to-head, it's sort of around like 125. For streamability. And right now, he's above that. I believe, or would, if given the opportunity, be above that over a few games in a row. So that's what those guys are when I talk about schedule streams. And, and hopefully you dudes and dudettes and whoever, you know, get the terminologies right, uh, can adapt what I say to whatever your league settings might be. So like if you're in a roto league with a games cap and I say, hey, this guy's a schedule streamer, you could probably ignore them. If you're in a roto league weekly with no games cap, because you don't really need one when it's weekly then maybe that guy does make sense. If they go, you know, four times in a given week and they're in a pretty good, like they get that bump, a four-gamer at top 125 is better than a three-gamer at top 100. That's just math. And that's what the weekly stuff is about. So there are a lot of different settings. And I actually, Brew and I were talking about some of this stuff uh, in a Slack chat yesterday. And so I think maybe we'll bring that up when we do our first uh live Friday show as well. That's where I'm at with the Knicks, at least right now. Oh, on the center front, Nerlens Noel's a start, steal three blocks. When he's out there, he'll get it done, even though it's sort of ugly on the path to it. He made a bucket in the first 20 seconds of yesterday's game and then didn't do anything offensively the rest of the entire night. Mitchell Robinson played just 14 minutes. He was getting abused by the Warriors. Um, He's probably a drop, which sucks, because it looked like he was going to get a nice bump playing with that second unit. But his minutes just continue to trend the wrong way. And it feels like the Knicks are kind of giving up on him a little bit. Tom Thibodeau is searching. Brooklyn beat Toronto in overtime. Game Toronto had in hand a little bit. Brooklyn came roaring back, took the lead. Toronto took the lead. Ended up tying it up. Patty Mills played really well, particularly late in that ballgame. And why wouldn't he? Because the entire Brooklyn Nets ended up in protocols before yesterday's ballgame, including James Harden. He was sort of the last one in there. But it's, I mean, like, just digging up the list is too much work. At this point, we should just look at who's not in protocols for Brooklyn, and it's obviously Kevin Durant, who, by the way, this is kind of nerve-wracking for KD, because he played 48 out of the 53 minutes in yesterday's ballgame, far more than anybody else on his team. Uh, and more than anybody in the game, actually. Pat, or, uh, Freddie Van Fleet was the closest at 47 minutes. I, you know, I, I know that KD seems fine, 
Health-wise, there's been almost no indication that he was ever hurt, honestly. Defensive stats down, I guess, a little bit. Uh, but this is this is going to put a lot of pressure on him. And I do wonder if at some point during this stretch where Brooklyn's going to be without half of their team, they might just sort of take an L. It's probably worth it in the long term. Just like, okay, whatever. Like, here's some young guys. Go play whatever. Don't hurt yourselves. But we can't run KD for that many minutes most games. Uh, Blake Griffin played 31 minutes. He fouled out. So I'm guessing he probably would have played more if he hadn't fouled out. I didn't watch every second of this ball game, but presumably as one of the lone remaining veterans on the roster, uh, they'd probably give him a bit of a look. As far as what you're going to do now, you know, Kevin Durant, we don't need to talk about because he's on every roster and starting anyway. Patty Mills very much becomes a guy you use again. Remember, we're talking about how he had kind of slipped back to where he was more of a schedule stream as the team was getting healthier and just kind of missing Joe Harris, basically. And then James Harden got a night of rest, and Mills was above the cut line for opportunity streamers as well. He was a stream-in-any-capacity kind of guy. Which I guess you can just call a short-term ad at that point. It's no longer a stream if you can use him in every format. It's just add and use. Well, he remains that because everybody's out now. So go, all systems go on Patty Mills. Uh, Nick Claxton started and played 26 minutes. I'm inclined to say he's a go as well. I'm a little bit less bullish on Claxton than most of the fantasy analyst marketplace because I do believe... He's not as great a rebounder as advertised. He's, he's good, he's not, but he's not great. And you saw it yesterday. He was actually the fourth leading rebounder on the team. And some of that was just playing time. And that'll be another part of it. They'll go small for stretches. They'll play Blake Griffin at center. They'll sacrifice defense for spacing and ball movement. And Claxton is not guaranteed 30 minutes, even as a starting center in an overtime game. And the, big, the third issue, which is maybe the biggest one, so I probably should have started with that, is he's an atrocious foul shooter. And he usually gets to the line because he's usually fouled rolling to the rim, taking passes from the likes of KD and James Harden, who, you know, not in, but you guys can follow the logic on that one. Still, starting center, NBA team, with ability to get blocks and field goal percent and rebounds, you kind of have to take a shot on it. So Claxton is a go as well. Blake Griffin, also probably a go in this iteration. 13 points, 5 boards, 6 assists, 2 steals, 2 threes. He's not going to block shots. And in general, I think his percentages will be worse than what you saw in this ballgame. But he might also be asked to do more. I think if he doesn't foul out, he probably plays more like 34, 35 minutes. And that's enough for him in his sort of aged fantasy game these days, which is playing a bit smarter, more below the rim, more three-pointers, I think he's a go. And then the question marks for me are David Duke Jr., um, who's blessed with just a, a, a name you don't want to have to say on a podcast. Uh, 10 and 13, two steals, two blocks. I honestly just don't know enough about him to say whether or not you should throw him into a lineup. And Kessler Edwards, who played 44 minutes off the bench in yesterday's game and also double-doubled. Now, admittedly, they're not going to be 60 rebounds in every basketball game, overtime or not. That's a ton. This was a high-paced game, and getting an extra five minutes in a high-paced game leaves you with these kinds of crazy fantasy lines. I'm inclined to say go on Mills, go on Claxton, go on Blake Griffin, and probably schedule stream Duke or Edwards or both. But I would not start those guys in a roto format, the way that I probably would with Griffin and Claxton and definitely would with Patty Mills. And that's where I'm on the nets after this one, and it might very well change after the next ball game because they're feeling it out. They don't have enough guys to play anyone less than about 25 minutes a game, but they're feeling it out. Chris Boucher came up in the questions that people wanted answered for whatever reason, and this is surprising me because... Uh, this Boucher mini-surge that just popped up has come with no Precious Achua, no Kem Birch, and no OG Ananobi. I did mention on a previous pod, and I'm 
thinking that people either didn't listen closely or missed that episode. Now, with a guy like Boucher, said this about six times, actually, this season. With a guy like Boucher, you don't want to be the team that misses it if it finally does stick. Everything that we say as fantasy analysts has a chance of being right and a chance of being wrong. We do not know the answers to any question. We take the information in front of us and use it to the best of our abilities. The information in front of us on Chris Boucher is that he was barely getting playing time until the entire Raptors front court minus Pascal Siakam went down. Does this mean that when they come back, he's doomed? Nothing is definite. But the answer is probably. There's probably about an 85 to 90% chance that when Birch, Achua, uh, I may have said Boucher earlier when I meant Achua, and when, when Birch, Achua, and OG come back, Boucher probably does see his minutes trimmed down to something in the teens again in probably a best-case scenario. But there's a 5 10% chance, whatever it might be, 1 in 20, 1 in 10, that he does keep 20 minutes per ballgame, and the Raptors decide that for all of his hustle plays, Preston Tachua is just so awful on offense that they got to try something else. There's a 5% chance of that. 5% chance means I don't think it's going to happen, but there is a wacky world where it might. And because Boucher is so effective fantasy-wise, he has to be streamed in every format while we wait and see. When someone comes back, Achua's in protocols, Birch is hurt. When someone comes back, in Roto, I would bench him that night. In head-to-head, you just keep rolling with it until the wheels fall off. That's a, it's a much easier decision there. You don't have that night-to-night, should I use a games cap on this thing. And if he falls off a cliff, great. You move on again, as we've done a couple times already this year. But because he is so good, fantasy-wise, you have to take that 1 in 20 chance that it sticks. How many guys over the course of an entire season are on the waiver wire, are out there just sitting as free agents, and have, in their recent past, put up top 50 numbers? Three? Boucher's one of them. If the minutes are there, he's a top 50 fantasy player. There just aren't that many guys like that in the NBA. Think about, like, everyone that you look at in fantasy in the top 100. Most of them are playing full complements of starters minutes, and most of them are not inside the top 50. How many are? 50. So Chris Boucher's a pretty rare fantasy player that when he gets even 24 minutes, he's top 50. So hell yeah, pick him up, stream him. Certainly be ready, because it probably, 85-90% chance, falls on its face when guys come back for the Raptors. But 5-10-15% chance it doesn't, you end up with one of the, it would be the pickup of the millennium, right now or if you somehow drafted him and were squatting on him and just like putting him in your fake injured list slot healthy stash you end up with a fat win you got to take that shot i get too many questions that are like hey you know uh dan should i should i stream damian lee or gary payton for steals tonight i don't care sorry if you ask me that question i don't care it's not going to change crap for your team over the course of an entire season. But you know what could? The 5% chance Chris Boucher sticks. 1 in 20. It happens. Phoenix Portland also went into overtime. Chris Paul, big. DeAndre Ayton came back, so bye-bye JaVale McGee. That was a fun little mini-stream. Got to stay on top of it. Jay Crowder's cooled off considerably after a few big games with no Devin Booker. Cam Johnson... Also, uh, more of a schedule stream. I mean, you can make an argument that a bunch of guys on Phoenix are schedule streams right now. I don't know that anybody with Aiton back is an opportunity stream. JaVale McGee I was using in every format. 
when he was filling in. Uh, now he goes back to being not useful at all. Uh, campaign 34 minutes in this ball game. I don't know that I would trust that to happen again. But if you really wanted to schedule stream there, and, and again, you know, these guys just had their back-to-back, so we, we're probably past the point where it matters anyway. Cam Johnson's not someone I'm super concerned with in Roto, in a games cap, uh, because he is sort of iffy. Portland's more interesting, which kind of been saying that since the very first day of the season because they haven't really found what works. And they were better in this one. Dame had 31 and 10, took him 31 shots to get there, but he had 31 and 10, a block, five three-pointers. Uh, there was a tweet that went out that I quote to you to talk about him grabbing his abdomen, and then I had someone note that it seemed like maybe he actually got kicked on the play. But I will say this, just watching him play, he doesn't look like he has his usual lift, which may be contributing to the lower free throw numbers and the lower field goal percent. Still, he's Dame, and we figured out on Twitter that you can have him for a late second rounder I probably would in a games cap format. Head-to-head, iffy. I I don't think there's a shutdown risk. Someone asked me that yesterday. Uh, because the West really is 10 teams and then a bunch of, cr- of kind of junk. Um, so the Blazers would have to, and I know they're in a bit of a tailspin right now, but they've been missing all of their best guys. They would really have to tank to not be a part of the play-in tournament. Right now they're tied with the Kings. Yuck! For the 10th spot. Uh, actually tied with the Spurs as well. And the Blazers have lost six games in a row to get to this point. Mostly, again, without Dame, without Anthony Simons for a few, without CJ McCollum for a few. It's been a rough go. They're better than these teams. They're better than the Wolves when they're healthy, the Blazers are. So they'll be probably an 8-9 seed in the West. Unless Dame abdomen gets way worse. I don't think they're shutting him down. So we'll, we'll try to shut that discussion down for right now. As far as the lineup goes for the Blazers, Larry Nance got another start. Nine points, eight boards, four assists, three steals. I don't know what he was doing missing three of his four free throws, but basically he was two made free throws away from a brilliant fantasy line. He's going to be great so long as he's starting. We're finally seeing the Larry Nance we thought we were going to get when the season began, which was mid to high 20s in minutes as they realize, oh my gosh, we're better with Larry Nance on the floor. Go figure! I'm very frustrated that it took Portland two months to figure out how to use Larry Nance in their lineups. Psst. It doesn't have to just be the backup power forward. He can do other stuff. Oh man, that's so frustrating. Because here I am, sticking my neck out, telling you guys to go take Larry Nance with your 130th pick because he's got a crazy inside track to top 80 value. Well, guess what? Now he does. It just took two months longer than we expected. Womp womp. Rob Covington actually playing pretty well off the bench these days. He's been racking up minutes there. They like what he does. Uh, they've been kind of going defense-offense with Nance and Nurk late in ball games a little bit. That's kind of cool. I also mentioned on this show that I didn't really trust Anthony Simons or Nas Little with Lillard around, at least not in a roto format. I said, look, if you're going to make me pick between one, you go Simons because he's going to take more shots. Uh, head-to-head style, this was an opportunity because Portland's on a back-to-back. But again, there's there's no trust level there. When, it, when someone's game is completely tied whether or not they're making their three-pointers, that's a rough dice play. That's a rough dice roll in a games cap format. Larry Nance, go. Rob Covington, go. Norman Powell, he settled in nicely with no C.J. McCollum. Nurk, Dame, obviously. Uh, those guys are goes in every format. And then Simons and Little, if you really wanted to use them in head-to-head, I wouldn't completely stop you, but I'd also probably say, eh, do you really want to, are you sure? Is this something you really want to do? Friends, friends, confidants, please, Today's the day I beg you on the podcast to go play around with our buddies at thrivefantasy.com. Prop up! Prop up at Thrive Fantasy this NBA season. It's a daily fantasy sports and esports app for player props. With Thrive, eliminate the countless hours of research. Focus only on the top-tier athletes that have the biggest impact on the game. Choose 10 out of the 20 available player props. Win points Based on which ones you hit, and if you win 
among the most points in your game, your prize pool, you get a share of it. There's a $5,000 guaranteed NBA prize every night, and you can jump in on it by using the link we've been tweeting out or by going to thrivefantasy.com and using the promo code ETHOS, E-T-H-O-S. 100% deposit match bonus up to $100 on your first deposit. On your first deposit, make it $10 or more and get two free entries into the $20 NBA contest. Make it $100 or more and get four free entries into the NBA $20 contests each night. I've said this before. $10, this is the one I really want you guys trying. Put $10 in using promo code ETHOS. Get two free $20 entries and a $10 deposit match. So deposit 10, end up with 60 And then listen to our guys over on DFS today, Mike Santino and team, as they're giving you the props they like the best to help you build out your lineups. Would love to know if they've been taking some cash home so far. ThriveFantasy.com, the Thrive Fantasy app available in all app stores and on the interwebs. Check them out. Use promo code ETHOS when you do so they know who sent you to go clean out some other users' take their money when you beat them up with prop wins. It's fun, man. It's a really nice way to not have to do all that ridiculous DFS digging because you know the machine algorithms are going to beat you in those. So now you get to do something where you got a a fighter's chance, man, a puncher's chance. It's all we ever ask for. ThriveFantasy.com, promo code ETHOS. Very short read for uh, ExpressVPN today as well. Make sure to check them out, expressvpn.com slash hoopball. Yes, the old logo, or the old uh, site name. Expressvpn.com slash hoopball. Get 15 months for the price of 12 using that special URL and start watching your NBA League Pass wherever you want, whenever you want, with whatever team you want. Don't worry about blackouts anymore with expressvpn.com slash hoopball. Let's do a couple of these questions. Knock them out. Um... Somebody was asking about Chris Boucher. Actually, a few people did. So hopefully that very long Boucher discussion earlier took care of that thing. A couple of questions that you guys asked that I'd like to bank for a later podcast when I have more time to uh, to dig into it. This is a really good question from uh, from Scotty. He says, are there highly rostered guys that shouldn't be? I love that question, actually. That's a, that's a fantastic one. And I don't want to rush it because there's actually... Uh, a pretty interesting discussion to be had on um, players that are rostered almost exclusively on name recognition. And it's not... It's not overwhelming right now, um, the number of guys that, that fall into that category. But, like... And most of them, you could make the argument, are are heavily stash-related... But, like, Chris Boucher, up until recently, was still in that 50% marker. Very surprising how high that was, given the fact that he basically hasn't been playing this year. Zion Williamson, 90% rostered, despite all the the bad pub coming out. But anyway, we'll do a deep dive on this stuff. Um, Kevin Porter Jr. is probably the the hero of this discussion. (laughs) Number 215 or whatever he is so far this year. The good news on this, the short answer, as before we do a deeper dive on it on a later date, is that most of the guys that are over-rostered are actually guys that are in that like 75 to 150 range uh, preseason rank. The rank boards have been relatively good this year. I mean, there are misses, but the, the colossal ones are almost exclusively catastrophic injury-related. But anyway, I wanted, to, I wanted to bank that question and do a deeper dive at another time. Um, Josh asked a really interesting question. I've been thinking about long-term versus short-term outlooks in my leagues with a plethora, nice $5 word from Josh, of players out due to injuries and COVID. I've debated punting my short-term outlook and purely thinking towards the long-term. This is interesting, actually. And guess what? We're going to talk about that with Brew on our first Fun Shirt Friday live show because that was something that this idea... And it comes all the way back to league settings, actually. Uh, head-to-head versus Roto, daily versus weekly, weekly moves limits, how many how many teams, how many bench slots, all that type of stuff goes into this 
same idea. So don't worry, Josh, we're going to be addressing this type of question in the very near future. And it also comes back to how do we as analysts describe particular players? Is this someone a streamer? Is this someone you need to squad on? Can you, in your league settings, squad on this type of player? So great question, Josh. Don't worry, we're going to be getting to this one relatively soon as well. Heath says, what's the complete process on taking your current roster and going all in on a specific punt build? This is a great question also. And this is the question we're going to be answering today. To those of you that asked other questions, uh, quick shout out to you. I want to do kind of a lightning round on uh, some of the other guys. By the way, VP, good question on volume free throw guys and volume field goal guys. Uh, I would just point you dudes to uh, the Basketball Monster Player Rank Board. You can probably look a little bit of that yourself, but we could also do that on a, on a future show. Um, Architect says, uh, more strategy for the the younger or more inexperienced players, and that's actually a really good idea too. I like to try to do more of that during the run-up to the season, so we might have to wait on that one a little bit. It's hard to do those types of shows when you're kind of in the mix right now. Also, a question about how to deal with the injury bug. By the way, um, it's usually just waited out unless you're getting completely obliterated and, and it's knocking you out of contention for the rest of the year. Um, also, had a question about how to create more trade interest in a league. These are all really good questions. And then one player-specific question, two of them actually, we're going to do here. We're going to do two player-specific questions, and then we're going to talk about uh, Heath's question on... Uh, punt builds and how to deal with it one is dame who we talked about a little bit already do we think he's going to have surgery i actually don't provided the blazers are actually in the mix for the play-in tournament we know dame well enough to know he's not throwing it unless things get really really bad and alperin shengun was another one that came up and i've got to think that brian here did not listen to our friday show where i basically said look you know this is a situation where Someone is starting to make a little bit of progress. We've seen him. He, he's looked better over the last week. So that's great. And that's made it simpler. But he's actually a, a better example of a type of player that I tend to be more the fuddy-duddy on than the average fantasy analyst. That type of player is the four-month squatting. So, um, Brian, I would say turn back to Friday's show. I actually did a segment on... How long is too long to squat on a guy and what different types of leagues you can actually get away with it? The beauty part is that now you're only probably about a month and a half away from Shengun. probably, again, this is all probably, seeing his minutes increase. The fact that he played alongside Christian Wood in their last ballgame was a really nice sign that they're going to try to force feed him a few more minutes. The game speed is slowing down for him a little bit. But what have you all been doing with him the last two months? If you're in a head-to-head daily league and you've had to start Shengun over these two months, he's blowing holes in your roster by being sub-average in scoring, threes, rebounding, uh, blocks. Sorry, not blocks. Uh, free throw percent. He's actually been okay in, in steals and blocks. He's been needlessly high for someone in his position in turnovers, his free throw percent is act or his field goal percent has actually come back a little bit. He's ever so slightly above league average in steals, blocks, and field goal percent, and that's after three good games. Prior to that, he was outside the top 200, and that's why the discussion for me is: what's a win? What is a win with Alperin Sengun? Can a fantasy analyst say sit on this player from October until February? November, December, January, February. That's four months. And then when it clicks, call it a win? I don't know. I really legitimately don't know the answer to that question. What I do know is that his overall value by totals on the year is probably not going to be very good because he's going to have four months under his belt of probably not being a very good fantasy player and then two months potentially being a very good fantasy player. What does that mean? I'm trying to get off to a good start in my leagues. I generally don't take a guy that I'm not expecting anything from for four months. That's a long time. But some people can. And if you have 
And if you're in a weekly league, you could squat on him. If you're in a roto games cap, you could squat on him. All those situations actually make more sense than head-to-head daily. And yet, I feel like, maybe I'm misreading this, it feels like head-to-head daily folks are the ones that have been rostering him the most. Just waiting for that playoff push where he will be a more useful. So that, I mean, you get a little bit of an exponential multiplier there because if he's good as you go into your head-to-head playoffs, then there's that big payoff. But how long is too long to sit on a guy like that? And I don't know that there's a right answer to that question. But I want to talk about punting for a few minutes before we wrap up today's show, which again, as usual, I said 30 minutes, and it's going to probably be 40 or a little bit more than that. Punting. Punting on draft night is a very different bird than punting in the middle of the season. And I don't know that this question uh, really wanted to talk, really wanted that retrospective on the draft. But I'm going to do it anyway. Maybe it did. Heath, uh, sorry if I'm answering more than you actually wanted to know. Punting on draft night. First of all, I don't think you do that in Roto, at least not on purpose. Don't start that way. Too many guys, and this is, by the way, the same... Uh, general idea I have for head-to-head, which is if you're punting one category, I think you're probably doing it wrong. Meaning, like, if you're in a traditional eight or nine-cat league and you're just picking one category to punt, I think you're making life really hard on yourself. Because by punting one category, you're like, well, I want to be good at eight. That's really, really hard. That's unbelievably difficult, unless you're in a, a pretty easy league where you're drafting against an array of morons. A vast array of them. I'm inclined to look at what we talked about with our buddy Adam King preseason, and he talked about punting a position. The big man punt. The guard punt. Whatever it might be. If you're in a league that's so competitive that drafting a well-rounded team is going to lose to a punt team in the playoffs, then trying to just out-punt them at one category probably isn't enough. I would I would venture to say that the hyper-competitive leagues, you probably have to punt three categories, which is basically the big man punt. Big man punt, you're punting field goal percent, blocks, and rebounds. Probably. I mean, I guess, like, maybe you could have some guards that shoot the ball well, and on a week-to-week basis, you might accidentally win field goal percent. But you're you're punting blocks, and you're punting uh, rebounds. Very much punting blocks. Again, rebounds, you might just luck into one every once in a while. But basically, you're punting three categories there. And what you're doing is, by punting those three categories, you are now saying, I'm going to be unbeatable and bulletproof in five categories with one that's kind of a 50-50 burger, probably turnovers of 50-50, and then maybe at like 20% of the time I accidentally win field goal percent. But I want to be bulletproof in five categories. This is for hyper-competitive leagues. I want to be unbeatable in free throw percent, threes, points, assists, and steals. And if you are fully bulletproof in five categories, you will win your league. Because that means that every week, you're winning. You're going one game over 500. And in hyper-competitive leagues, if you're hovering right around 500 or ever so slightly above it, you're probably the 5 or 6 seed going into the playoffs. Now, if you win 5-4 every single week, you'll be 15 to 20 games above 500 at the end of the year. And that probably puts you in like the 3 or the 4 seed and comfortably in the playoffs. I decided in most of my head-to-head leagues, to actually give the Adam King method a try. And the problem I ran into most of the time is that I forgot to draft centers. You kind of have to go get the centers that fit your build early because uh, otherwise you're going to end up with none because as you get into those late rounds, you want to keep taking low field goal percent guys that are slipping because uh, they're inefficient or they're bad in a few key categories, a high-scoring dude who gets like one and a half rebounds a game and shoots 39% is going to get drafted super late, but he actually fits your team really well. And I would argue that I'm doing pretty well in most of them. I think uh, 
I'd say two, two out of the three leagues where I attempted this, I've done it basically right. Basically. Again, imperfect, but basically right. And then one of them, which was actually the Yahoo Pro League, uh, it was stupid to draft that way because I actually could have drafted a really good, well-rounded team against a slightly less competitive group and been pretty good. So then here's the other side of that. If you're not in the world's most competitive head-to-head league, it probably behooves you to just draft the best damn available team and then sort things out on the fly. Pretty similar to what you're doing in Roto, which is draft the best available team and sort it out on the fly. And this is the other half of this question, which is when do you make your in-season decision to punt? And uh, we got a question similar to this when I guested on Josh Lloyd's show last week, and my answer was right about now, actually. About two months into the season, about eight weeks, we're, what are we, about a, a third of the way through right now? Yeah, about a third of the way through the regular season. This is the time to look at your team and, and you know, be analytical about it. Okay, uh, I'm going to look at my team. I'm actually going to do one while you and I are, are talking to each other on the podcast right now. I'm going to look at my team, and I'm going to look at the win-loss of each category. Oh, I did it in a dumb... I did it in a dumb one. I did it in my uh, 11 category league by accident. So let's go to one where it's nine cat. You can go in Yahoo under league. There's team stats and you can figure out what you've been winning and what you've been losing. So for instance, um, field goal percent. I'm two and six in the first eight weeks so far. And that is basically by design. You know, that's that was kind of something that I was angling for free throw percent. Oddly enough, I'm also two and six, but I have a pretty good idea of how we got to this point. And the way we got to that point is that Jason Tatum, who I was counting on being a pretty good anchor in that category is only shooting 81% instead of 85 so far this year. And, uh, my second round pick Freddie Van Fleet, he's only taking three free throws a game. So not as moving, as what you'd like. And then a handful of guys sort of down the board have been okay. Like I, I drafted Andrew Wiggins late because I thought my free throws could handle whatever he was going to do. CJ McCollum is shooting only 70% at the free throw line. There's been, uh, unfortunately, a bunch of guys on this team that haven't shot the free throw as well as I expected they would. So that's not one that I'm looking at and saying, okay, well, I'm stuck with this. It's a lot of, like, near-miss losses because guys just haven't been as good. That one's maybe not real. I'm 6-2 and two in three-pointers, 6-2 and two in points, 3-5 and five in rebounds, so my team somehow ended up a little bit better at rebounding than I planned. Perfect 8-0 and oh in assists. Okay, great. Steals 6-2, and two, blocks 1-7, and seven, turnovers 3-5. and five. So, again, that one pretty close to 50-50. So now I've looked at this team, and this is one that I was trying to punt, and I have to figure out, okay, what am I, you know, how do I make myself a bit more bulletproof? Free throw percent needs to be shored up, uh, and steals, I would say a little bit. And then the other stuff, I think uh, a lot of that you can trace back to, like the times I lost threes, the times I lost points, was because guys were hurt. And this is a league where you kind of have to stream. If you don't, you're, you're screwing it up. There's injured slots, it's daily, the benches are not that deep, so you have to get more guys in. If you miss someone, if you have two guys hurt, uh, you're going to lose whatever it is, 8, 7, 8% of your totals for the week. You just you can't afford that in this particular league. Now, what about a league where I wasn't trying to punt? How do we figure that out? Okay, well, let's go to, say, a Roto League. And I can pull up the league stats there. And again, remember, it's very important, you guys, look at league averages, not the totals and not the rank board. In in Roto, if you look at the rank board, you're going to get thrown all out of whack because someone's probably had more games played than you to this point, probably by a lot, if you're playing it cautious like I generally do. So then figure out, okay, what's real? So in this particular league, I am dead last in three-pointers made. 
uh, totals-wise. Again, not accounting for taking the averages. I'm also pretty far behind. I'm second from the bottom in games played in this league. So what happens when that levels off? You know what? Maybe I'm not that horrible in three-pointers. Maybe I'm not dead last. This is why in Roto, it's so important to take the averages of every single team in your league. I played 287 games in this particular league I'm looking at. And you can I, I would encourage you guys to look at yours while we're talking about this if you're in a Roto league. And now I scan up to like the third or fourth place team, and they've played 338 games so far. That's a 50-game gap right now. You're talking about almost a 20% advantage they have in games used to this point in the season. So if you just want to kind of eyeball it a little bit, what if I had a 20% jump in the three-pointers my team has made so far? What are they at? I'm at 426, so basically at 100. And then where am I? Oh, well, I'm like right in the middle of the pack. I'm not good. I'm not in great shape at that point. But I'm right behind. So it's not a complete disaster. I don't think I am going to steer into a full three-pointers punt in this league. Because as we've just seen, if you accommodate a 15 to 20% jump in my three-pointers, I'm only like 20 or 33s behind a big pack of teams. And I would go racing past two of them. So I'm easily, ah, three, excuse me, I'm easily fourth from the bottom if you adjust for games played. I'm not going to punt that. In fact, that looks like a category now where if I get a little bit better, I could jump from fourth from the bottom to sixth or seventh from the bottom. And the rest of my categories, I'm actually okay, even though I'm way behind everybody else in games played. I'm third from the bottom in points. That'll also be a problem. But again, that will level off. And then mid-pack and rebounds, assists, and slightly above average in steals and blocks. That probably goes up. I might be leading the league in both of those when the games level off. So please pay attention to games played as you assess your Roto League. Let me turn to one more example that I'm looking at because I want you guys to see how this all shakes out. Uh, It's a different Roto team where, once again, I have a one in a particular category. And in this one, it's points. Yes, I'm a little bit behind the other teams in games played. I'm at 273 here, and most of the other teams are around, like, 290 in this league. Uh... It's a lower overall games cap, so that's why teams are not at like 330. They're just a little bit farther back. But I'm at 3,690 points, and the team that's second from the bottom is at 4,140, and they're 13 games ahead. 12 games ahead is another team that's like 4,100-something. Nine games ahead is teams at 4,200. So I'm now way back. If you adjust for 10 games played or 15 games played at about 15-ish points per game, that only gets me about 200 points closer. And I'm still 300 behind the last place team, besides myself, in that category. So this now is a league, eight weeks in, where I look at it and I'm like, you know what? I really am bad at scoring points. It's time to now look at my roster, see if there's anyone whose prime contribution to my team is scoring or if it's you know one of their two or three best categories and see if I can move that to address other issues. I would argue that on this team, Kristaps Porzingis might be my most expendable player because he averages 20 points per game, good free throw percent, really good for a center, eight rebounds, that's fine, 1.6 blocks is fine, but if I, I mean, Kristaps, you're talking about a guy who's number 12 because of his really unique different categories that he contributes to. One of them is points. His best is blocks. His second best is free throw. His third best category is points. I could look around, and here's the beauty part of it. I could look around and find someone who's sub-average in points and maybe even ranked a little bit behind Kristaps 
but makes way more sense for my fantasy team. Rudy Gobert, oddly enough, would actually make way more sense for my fantasy team. He is league average in scoring, so now I lose five points per game. But in this case, I would gain six rebounds per game, half a block, a ton of field goal percent. Yes, I lose out on free throw percent, but guess what? You know what my team's at in free throw percent in that particular league? First. So not only are we now talking about a league where his points aren't that useful for my team, but his free throw shooting isn't as useful for my team. And that's what I want you guys doing right now. This is the time to assess what's real on your fantasy team and what's a mirage. Decide if it's time to punt something. The midseason, the give-up punt, as I like to call it, give up on points. That's what I can do in that league. I can give up on points. And it ends up being potentially a big boost. Because what if? What if I lose one point in free throw percent from this trade, but gain two in blocks, one, uh, two in rebounds, one or two in field goal percent, This is a massive ROI play. Yeah, I lose a little bit in three-pointers as well, but, I mean, come on. You can make up for threes pretty fast in this day and age. What if you picked up Patty Mills? You're going to get 30 over the next five games. (laughs) ROI at this point. Your punting trades are all about ROI, but make sure you're doing it right. Make sure you're punting a thing that you actually should be punting. And there's your accidental hour-long pod. He said 30, it was 55. Uh, Thanks for listening, everybody. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. Again, tomorrow, Josh Lloyd on the program. Stay tuned for more information on the first live episode of Fantasy NBA Today in two years with Brew. Very excited about that. Rate and review the pod. I haven't bugged you guys about that in a long time. Please go drop a five-star review on this sucker. I will be forever grateful. I'm Dan Vespers at Dan Vespers on Twitter. Enjoy your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow.